Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. I want to thank you all for your kindness. I know there's also a friend of mine here of old this morning. I, I'm, I'm an, uh, allegedly, so that goes back many, many years ago. It's interesting because an old photograph suffered, uh, surfaced just recently with my arm around him in, in, in a, at a conference in Kerakil. I, I don't know, Willie, are you here this morning? Wave at me if you are. Uh, uh, is he here somewhere? Uh, he's probably with the kids downstairs, but a friend of all got saved many years ago, got a great testimony, came from an IRA background, and God really saved him. So I'm delighted that he's here. He's probably watching at the screen downstairs this morning. I want to thank you for, uh, so much for your prayers for myself and Catherine. We have, we, we're back since late Monday night. We got in. We're loads of delays with flights, and we got in late Monday night uh, after 12 days on a mission to Ukraine. And uh, it was indeed an uh, a real eye-opener for, for both of us. Um, uh, there were so many wonderful things happened during that time, so many um, things that we will, we will never forget for sure, to go into a war-torn country now where the, the ominous atmosphere lies over every square inch of the country, the reach of the Russian Federation with its missiles and its, its jackboots ready to come and squeeze the necks of these people. It's, you know, they, they know they've lost at least 200,000 young men. Uh, and that's, I mean, you think that that's the entire city of Cork and women and children, you know, and probably more than that. They're saying minimum 200,000, hundreds of thousands maimed and wounded. And this is going on right now. And we, you know, so we come into the country and we see men and women that are very, you know, shocked. They, they can't even process what's going on in our country from peace to war from a time of prosperity when the fields are full of grain and fruit and products to you can't even get them in, you can't go out there, you've been shelled, uh, sons and daughters being maimed and destroyed and life just like cheap, just like a meat grinder in some of those areas. And to go in and minister was a real honor for us. We thank the church for your support and prayer. We, we, we saw nearly 2,000 people give their lives to Christ. These were all uh, Eastern Orthodox people who came to church. We would give food and Bibles, but they'd stay for the whole service, over 1,000 in each service, and then we would leave them go, and then another 1,000 would come in, and none of them were born-again people. These were all people that were just needing prayer. And I, 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 you could say foolishly said, I would like to lay hands on anyone that needs prayer for healing. And I'm there like an hour and a half later. They're just one after an hour after an hour. And it was an honor. And these are people that would never come into a Christian. You know, they're, they're orthodox. They're very, very different uh, in their outlook. It's more ritual and uh, God-touched lives. We ministered to about two and a half to 3,000 pastors between Moldova, between Moldova uh, Odessa, and Lviv. In, in, uh, and uh, that was a, a great honor again for us and uh, to hear the stories of many of them that have lost two-thirds of the congregation, lost their church buildings. Um, I talked to one pastor that sat with me at, at dinner, a very humble man from the, the Kharkiv region. Uh, when the Russians came in and took over his, his city, they come in with an entire machine. What I mean by a machine, they immediately they, they deposed the local mayor and the local council. They put in uh, trained puppets to run the local government, chief of police. So they come in with a whole entourage, and they then came to this pastor and said, "Now this 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 country is now this land is now Russian." 
you are now under the Russian Federation. And if you don't collaborate with us, there'll be consequences. So they wanted them to collaborate and tell them the movements of his, if there was any paramilitary activity in his community, if there's anything happening behind the scenes. He refused to collaborate. He says, I can't, I'm a Ukrainian, I'm a pastor, I can't. So they took his 19-year-old son. And he didn't know if he was alive or dead for nine months. And so they don't know, they're, 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 they're besides themselves with sorrow and grief. And he's going to the mayor, he's going to the local politicians, he's going to the military commanders, and nobody's seen his son. Nobody, they don't even know if he's alive or dead. And so this is this sort of awful, awful the, the psycho um, warfare that's going on. And they just held their ground, trusted the Lord. But nine months later, the son come walking in the door of the house, very shaken, much thinner, with a lot of stories to tell. But this is a trauma that's visited upon these people who are simply wanting to defend their own country, to live their own life. And uh, we do well as a church to support them, not just in prayer, but what we're doing with the life of Feed Cork and keeping our hearts soft. To, you know, when we've crossed the borders, it was taking us, if you bring your car across, it's eight hours to get into Lviv. So we would have to walk across, go through a, a, a Polish checkpoint or Moldovan checkpoint, go across no man's land, then go into the Ukrainian checkpoint. And on the other side, there were thousands of people coming out and then to see the mothers weeping because they couldn't bring their older sons with them, falling on their necks, crying, falling in the necks of their husbands because they can't come with them, taking the small kids out. And they were probably waiting up six or seven hours just to get through security to get across into Poland. That's going on now, right now, in our world. And uh, we, they need your, our prayers. The pastors and leaders there were so delighted to hear that Cork Church has uh, direct contact by giving food and pastoral care to 1,000 Ukrainian families now. 4,041 people is on the registry for Feed Cork. And so we thank God that we're able... When I told them this, they started to weep. One man came up to me. He said, Pastor, he said, my son is in, is in Cork. And he's become a drug addict on the streets, and we've no way of contacting him. And his life is falling apart because of this. He's become a drug addict since he came over because he's just, his life is in free fall. So uh, they're the sort of human stories. And, but what I want to tell you, God broke through. Catherine will tell you, not in, just in the women's meetings. My wife was ministering with Teresa Connor, and I was ministering with Pastor Carter and Peter Sorensen. And God visited even the pastors and leaders and bishops of the regions. I'll tell you one story before we come up to the word this morning. You can't really blame them in one way, but you're not to do this as a Christian. The Bible talks about forgiveness. But even in, in Russia, there is this, the Union of Pentecostal Churches has sided with the Putin administration, believing the propaganda that the West is nothing other than this evil liberal army. And, um, and so, you know, the best thing that could happen is that Russia would take over the whole thing and it would become virtuous and nice, you know, yeah. And so there's been a division even in the church and a lot of anger and disappointment within the pastors of Ukraine that they feel unsupported by so many of their brethren across the border to the point where bitterness was coming in, real bitterness. And, uh, and, uh, and you, we know that that is not the spirit a Christian is allowed to have. You have no right to hold in your heart against another. You might be disappointed with the behavior. You might it, it, you may call it out for wrong, which it is. But you have to forgive and you have to love. And, uh, you know, it's at a raw time when hundreds of thousands of their children are dying, when their churches are being decimated, to hear the voices that, well, you know, what do you expect? You shouldn't be going with the West. You should go here. And we're supporting here. So it's, you can imagine how that runs deep when you're, 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 you're dead or still not cold in the ground yet. And Pastor Carter brought a phenomenal word about not imbibing the spirit of the age and about forgiveness. And 
uh, I was praying all the way through this because there's about 900 pastors there and you could hear a pin drop and in actual fact I'm thinking there's going to be a walkout and we were interceding and praying and then he did an altar call at the end and then one pastor took about 40 seconds for the first movement which is a long time when you do an altar call one pastor comes up comes in and he starts to weep then over here another pastor comes in the whole congregation just heaved in and this weeping broke out among the leaders and I thank God for that because it means they may, they may take your life, they may take your churches, your money and your finance. They have no right to take your peace. They have no, no right to take the, the virtues of Christ from you, the inheritance that the gospel bought, you know, the ability to forgive, which is in every Christian, and the, the ability to embrace that which is bristly and difficult. And God really touched these men, and it was a great cost to them they came to an altar, because why wouldn't they be bitter with the stories that they heard? We visited cemeteries, freshly dug cemeteries of young men and I was telling some of our people that it was, it was what was striking about these cemeteries. They were going right back as far as the eye could see. All you could see the Ukrainian flags. And, um, and I w we would walk around looking at the photographs. There was lovely color photographs of every soldier that had fallen. And none of them looked like your typical jarheads. Do you know what I mean? The guys that sign up to go, oh, we're going to kill you. They were like school teachers, soft complexions. They could have been my son. Some of them looked like my own sons. Literally, they had that sort of shaped face. And, uh, and we went to this young, young, lovely, lovely young woman. She's probably 33, 34 years of age. She's sitting on the gravesite, and she's just got a handkerchief. She's just weeping. She's been visiting that grave for nearly 10 months, every single day. And I walked up with Catherine, and I said, was this your husband? And she said, yes. So she had, she had good English. I said, he's a very handsome man. And she said, he was just 40. And I said, really? She said, he was a famous archaeologist in Kiev. And he said to her, when the tanks rolled over, he says, we can't let this happen to our country. I have to go. I can't let this happen. We can't let this man come in and, and, and destroy our country. And that is the story, one after another after another, brave men and women. I met another woman, uh, and she was decorating the grave. Catherine and I walked over, her, her, her only son of 27 years of age. He could have been a male model. He looked so handsome, strong. He boxed in the army. Picture of him with his little boxer dog. Beautiful smile. Handsome looking man. And she said, Pastor, it's my only son. And it's been a year ago and I can't come to terms that he's dead. So we got to pray with her and others as well. But that brought it home to us. And then when we went by the villages, we saw lines and lines of crosses. And these were local boys that were brought back to their villages. They didn't have enough material to put proper crosses, so they cut down birch trees, still with the bark on it. You see the bark on it, they nailed the cross, and there we are crosses line by line by line, and they'll get around to, I'm sure, marking the graves correctly. But it brought home the human cost and what our church, the Christian church, is facing. And the great thing about the Christian church is the hope of the nation, because even the government has been turning to the pastors. Can you take over this municipal? Can you help with just 5,000 people here? So the governments are coming to the church and say, can you, or, and the pastors of the churches are getting passes to be able to leave the country to bring in truckloads of food and help to the regions. So it's fantastic the way the Christian church has risen in, in opening their homes. And I want to tell you, they are a wonderful, hardworking, dignified people. It was an honor to be there, to serve them, to see them, and to take home not just a bad report, but a good report. Because even in the midst of this, God is being glorified. People are being saved. 
the gospel is going on, the gates of hell doesn't stop it, amen. And I believe that even the controlling hand of God is in this, in this, in this time. And I don't believe it cut God out, out at all by accident. He knows what he's doing. So lift, keep the precious men and women, and particularly the church of Ukraine, before the Lord in prayer. Let's ask God to bring an end to this calamity, this awful, uh, this awful violence that's meted out against these people, and that there will be a testimony that would rise up out of the ashes of the Ukraine. When we were leaving Ukraine, we get to fast track because we're European, still a couple of hours waiting. There are thousands of people coming out of Lviv and uh, just there hours upon hours, probably eight to 10 hours waiting just to get through to get out of the, uh, of the region. So they're filtering them up north, getting them out. And um, so, you know, a lot, of, a lot of prayer needed and it's a long way off yet before uh, there's going to be a cessation of violence. That's the way it seems, unless our God speaks into the ear and sends that army back from whence it came. And he did it before at the gates of Jerusalem when the Syrian army surrounded them and God can do it again. He whispered in the ear of the king of the Assyrians. That's all he did. And he took his army away. Oh God, whisper in the ear of President Putin. Tell him to take his armies home. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. That means I have to say it all over again. Oh. <laughs> uh, praise the Lord. Uh, uh, again, we have baptisms straight after service. So foreign woods, you should be able to get it in the GPS. It's out there. It'll take you to the door. Uh, stop and get some food, some rolls, some ham. Share with people. Bring a little picnic. There'll be some refreshments there. But we're going to have a great, great day. The weather's going to be lovely. And we have a lot for baptisms. And I'm really encouraging you. If you do need a lift after service, go to the red carpet area at the back. Go to one of the ushers, one of the officials of the church saying, I need a lift there. We're going to try to coordinate. Do it straight away because uh, we are definitely um, at that place where we're trying to sort out some mysteries and how to get you there. So that, I had to say that because I don't want you to forget it. The Lord bless you. Let's go to the Word of God this morning. Um, turn in your Bible to the book of Samuel, First Samuel, and uh, chapter 14. Reading from verse 6, Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that's in your heart. Go there. Here I am with you of one accord of heart. Then Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over to these men. Verse 11, so both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you something. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me for the Lord has delivered him into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed on his hands and his knees, his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and he came after... As he came after him, his armor-bearer killed them. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made was about 20 men within about a half an acre of land. And there was a trembling in the camp, in the field among the people, the garrison, and the raiders also trembled, and the earthquake, so that a very great trembling. Now the watchmen of Saul at Gibeon and Benjamin looked, and there was a multitude melting away as they went. 
Then Saul and all the people who were with him, this is verse 20, who were in the assembly, and they went to the battle, and indeed every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was a very great confusion. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who came up with them to the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountain of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines had fled, they also followed half, hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, uh, and the battle shifted to Beth Avon. Now, just very briefly, this is a very early time in the history of the kings of, of uh, Israel. Saul is the first king. The people of Israel have now been brought into their land. The last of the judges has died. And the first of the kings, which is Saul, is in place. And Saul is not a very healthy king. He's a very fleshly man. He's a, he's a man, even though he's very handsome, very tall, very given, uh, very naturally aptitude, uh, 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 very natural aptitude to be king. And he was, the, uh, he was the election of the people. But he was a miserable spiritual leader. But his son, Jonathan, there was always something in Jonathan. And John, Jonathan, as, as, when you read your Bible, was a man of, of, of great compassion and great faith as well. He was a great friend of David and saved David from certain calamity with Saul. But uh, there, so at this time, technologically, the, the Philistines had the upper hand all the time militarily against the Jews. They were the more dominating Jews. The Jews were under them. They were servitude. They were, there was constant um, you know, reparations that they paid back to the Philistines. There wasn't even actually an ironsmith in the land of Israel. They'd have to go and get even basic tools from the Philistines. So, I mean, really, really the Philistines were very clever. They wanted to make sure that they could not get armed, you know, that there could be an insurrection against their authority. But again, with the king, there was a new king, and there's a sense of maybe this king can throw off the shackles of the Philistines and restore the integrity of its borders that God had promised to them. And so this is the sort of life many the Israelites at this time, many of the Jews, because of the fear of the Philistines, they, they, they made their homes were dens and caves. They went to the mountains. Many of them actually went and became collaborators and went over to the other side. Yeah, they were so fearful. The, the Philistines were a fearsome people. Yeah, 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 they weren't to be trifled with. And they, as I said, they had mechanization. They had iron. And so they, they, when they went into war, they were much more stronger than the Jews. And there was a lot of terror among the people of God. And so this is the sort of setup here. You know, the only two people in the whole Israeli army that has a sword and a shield and a spear is is actually Saul and Jonathan. The rest of, you know, they're farmers and they've got pitchforks and they've got, they got uh, shears and things like that. So they're really men that are trying to throw off the yoke of, of, of bondage from, from these oppressors. And, but, now, but Saul is not a man of the Spirit. He's not a man that is moving in faith. He's, he's a man that, rather than engaging the enemy, he's full of stories. You know, he's, he's, you know, he's shining his armor. He's got 600 men around him, you know, and they, he's just talking about some, some you know, it's like, one of, it's like so many of us Christians, you know. There's a, there's a job to be done. There's a battle to be fought. But rather than engaging in the battle, we prefer to sit around in our houses and just talk about how bad the world is. And you know, I, I remember the glorious days of Samuel. You know, I can imagine how Saul is just talking about his inauguration you know, and he, as he shines his armor in his tent and shines the sword and everyone's bemused, but the land is still being held by the Philistines. You know, there comes a time, even for the Christian, that the time of talking must be over. There comes a time of warfare. There comes a time of believing God. There comes a time of engaging the enemy. 
And this is a phenomenal story because, you know, there is this outpost by the, of the Philistines, and it's, it's actually, it, in the natural, it looks like an outpost that's really not even easy to access naturally, so it's easily guarded, it's impregnable in many ways. And, and so, so Jonathan and his armor bearer deliberately, they break off from the main company, they present themselves, it says, let's, Jonathan says, let's show, let's show ourselves to the Philistines. I love that because, you know, there comes a time where there has to be a revelation of the sons of God. Amen. There has to come a time where the Christian starts to show who they are again. The men and women of faith. And, and Jonathan had that, that sense that God's hand was upon him. God's promises were upon the nation. In actual fact, he says, earlier on, he says, let's go and show ourselves to these uncircumcised Philistines. There, that's the actual words he used, to these uncircumcised Philistines, which is a strange word to us. But not to him. Because what he was doing, he was drawing upon the legal rights that he had as a circumcised covenanted man to the land of Israel. In other words, what he was saying, because we are God's covenanted people, that means we have a legal contract for this land that God has given the land to us. On the strength of that, I'm going to go up to this garrison. You know, there's nothing emboldens a man more than knowing that he stands for what's right. You know, when I went to the Ukraine and I saw these people that are vastly outnumbered, you know, vastly insufficient in military terms and in every way to take on the bear, you know, it didn't matter to them because I spoke to them. I said, what happens if the, if the American administration says you better sue for peace because we're not going to give you any more weapons? He says, we'll go out with pitchforks. He said, we have right on our side. This is our country. And that's in the, natural, in the natural world. But in the spiritual world, when men and women get an understanding of the covenant that God has brought them into, it brings about so, a stirring of the heart. Truth stirs you. Hallelujah. So Jonathan is, is, is enough of this, you know, this uh, theories, enough of these sitting down talking about the old stories. You know, people love talking about the old stories, you know. Oh, I remember this revival. I remember D.L. Moody. I remember, the, did you ever read about the great, great Awakening? Have you ever talked to Christians and they talk about all these has-been and past experiences, which were great and powerful, but just because they read a book about it, they seem to be thinking that they've moved the kingdom on by something. No, just reading about past victories does not make sure that you're going to bring a victory forward yourself. There comes a time where you have to embrace what God has said about you as a Christian. And so this is Jonathan, and Jonathan says, you know what? They have no legal right to this land. God gave us this land. Yes, That's what he said. God has given us this land, and there's something comes into the spirit of this man. It, 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 it seems ridiculous in the natural. Him and his armor bearer. Half the artillery of the entire Jewish army is there. If he loses this, they go down to one man with a sword and a spear and a shield. I mean, what a waste of resources to think that he can climb up this very steep cliff. That's very fortified position. There's only 20 men there, but two could hold it. I mean, there's only one way in and one way out, and it's steep. And he has to, and we read the story, but he's emboldened. Something is in his heart that says, I don't care if it's, if it's 200 feet tall or 300 feet tall. God has given this land to us. This is our land. This is what God has given to us, and he's filled with faith. And we know he goes there, he shows himself. And I want to tell you, Christian, there comes a time for you and me to show ourselves to this world. Amen. 
to come out, to come out from the closet. There's lots of things coming out of the closet today that should stay in the closet. But I want to tell you what these Christians need to come out of the closet. Hallelujah. There's a time for the revelation of the sons of God. The Bible says the whole of creation is yearning and aching for a revelation for the church just to come out of the church four walls and begin to shed the light of the gospel and begin to impact the world around us. That's what we need to be doing. Not just be massaging our doctrine here on a Sunday morning, shining our shields, worrying about the teas and coffees, and worry about the so-and-so get a handshake this morning. No, there comes a time where we say, no, this is important. Fellowship is important. But what's equally important is that we get on with the work of the gospel and begin to advance the gospel. Amen. Comes a time when the sons of God need to say, you know what, we have a promise in the scripture. God has promised us his presence, his provision, and his power. And so Jonathan goes, and we, you know, I was actually trying to find pictures of the exact rock area. They reckon they found it in Markhamish, the picture of the, where the garrison was. It wasn't an easy, easy military exercise. And so he goes, and he shows himself, and the, the sign to him was that if they said, come up here, then they know. He will know that this God is in it. We'll go there, and God will hand him into our hands. And so he puts out a fleece to God. And of course, they go present themselves and the Philistines in their follies invite them to come up because they're thinking, what are these two little futile Jews going to do? You know, we've got loads of Goliaths on our side. We're, you know, we've got coats of mail. We've got iron swords. They probably only got you know, timber swords. Literally had timber swords and timber axes and stuff as well, sharpened. And they put it into the fire to get a hard point. That's why they brought the battle. So when they invited Jonathan to go up that hill, he had to climb in his hands and his feet. <laughs> it's not a picture of the Christian. It's not how we fight, friends. We fight on our knees. Yes. Hallelujah. That's where we start. We know that in the natural, the appeal to be able to win this world for Christ seems absolutely impossible. But we know that our God has already purchased salvation. We know that our God has already won the victory. He showed himself, first of all, there was no exit strategy, no going back. I have decided to follow Jesus. Today we are going through the waters of baptism. Many men and women are going to publicly tell others around by their demonstration of their testimony that there's no going back. I'm showing myself to the world. That's what baptism is, isn't it? Showing yourself to the world. This is me. I am identifying with Jesus Christ. I'm putting all my pitch in with him. I don't care what, what photographs emerge on the internet. I don't care what the newsreel say about me. As for me and my house or my future house, we're serving the Lord and I'm identifying with Jesus, showing themselves to the world. That's the first step for the Christian. Show yourself to the world. No exit strategy. I love John and his courage. In the natural, as I said, it's, 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 Paul, it's, it's madness, it's foolishness. But the preaching of the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God for salvation. And he shows himself. And there he begins to climb up with his armor bearer between these two rocks. One means white shining, the other means thorn. And I'm not going to go into the allegory of all this. But they're climbing, they're climbing, they're climbing. It took them nearly three hours to get up this place. The Philistines are probably having, making teas and having tensies and twelvesies and dipping their biscuits, waiting for the poor Jews to come up. And then they're going to show them a thing or two. But I want to tell you, when they came up, the power of God came upon them. And they, they struck down these enemies. 20, only 20. Only 20. It's not a, you could say, well, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot for, I mean, I, I mean, one or two would have been enough for me. But, uh, you know, so much say, well, fair enough, he was a very skilled fighter. And, you know, but there was something else happened. 
I want to tell you, Christian, that when you start to engage on the promises of the new covenant, when you start to, to, to go on your knees before God again, when you start to climb towards the purposes of God in that place, you know, the small battles matter. I want you to think about that for a moment. Because, you know, he could have said, why am I potentially expelling myself for something so small? So I win a, a small bit of land on the top of a steep cliff. You know, I could easily lose my life. What's the benefit to the kingdom? What's the big issue here? It's so easy for him to quantify that. And many times, us as, as believers, we, we, we don't value the small battles enough. We don't. We, we, we just think they're not important. But I want to tell you, Christian, I believe the Lord is telling us something this morning from this scripture. That if you want to see the, the, the power of God move in your church, in your community, and in your family, there are small battles to be won. There are small issues that we need to turn our concern towards. It's, it's revelatory because as this man did what was in front of him, it wasn't militarily huge, although I still think it's miraculous, but I want to tell you the small battles produce a greater victory. And that's always been the way in the kingdom. He goes up and he fights these 20, he wins them, but there is, a, a, a rec, there's, there is an acknowledgement by God. There's this trembling that happens. You know, when you and I pray, friends, when you and I go into the presence of God, when you and I open the word, when you and I go on our knees before the Lord, and for the small things in our lives, not the big issues, God will look after them. You look after the small battle and say, amen. He's already won the big battle, but God will call you to maturity and say, I'm not asking you to defeat the enemy. My Christ will defeat the enemy. He's already defeated the enemy. But I do want you to go on your knees and pray, amen. I do want you to engage the world around you. I do want you to open your mouth. I do want you to show yourself, and I'll give you the victory. <coughs> and I think as we begin to imbibe that as Christians, God begins to acknowledge that something happened. The scriptures is a trembling, a great trembling. It's amazing, friends, when you just simply do the basic things right in our lives. The simple things. Spending time with him. The simple things waiting on him. And he showed himself. You know, he knew who he was. He knew his covenant position. He was a child of Israel under the seal of the covenant. Everything rests upon the covenant promises. He knew this. He said, I believe that Jehovah is a true God. I believe that his promises are yes and amen. I believe that if I evoke the covenant and stand in the strength of that, that God will do a miracle. And that's the only way he could go up that mountain, friends. Because in the natural, it makes foolishness, but he did. And so this was the land that was promised to Abraham to his offspring. Anyone who would believe would receive this, this land by faith. I want to thank, t tell you this morning that God is calling you and I to start fighting some smaller battles again. Hallelujah. Because we understand that someone else called up a mountain for us, amen, carrying his armor with him, which was a cross. And he walked up that hill. And he carried that cross for his friends. Despising its shame. Keeping his face set like a flint. For the joy that was set before him, which is you and I. Endured such hostilities against himself. 
And as he stumbled, friends, and as he crawled on his hands and his feet carrying that cross, he won a victory for you and I. And that victory is the blood of the new covenant. A blood that speaks much higher than the covenant of old. A, a, a covenant that released the power of heaven. A, a power that opened the doors of heaven. A power that broke down the very wall of division. That now you and I have access to go before the throne of grace in time of need. Amen. Oh, I tell you, if Jonathan could stand upon the virtues of that old covenant and go up and win the victory, surely you and I can stand in the power of the new covenant and say, Christ won us a victory. He, he, he disarmed the powers of darkness. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over them by the cross. And beginning to engage in prayer, <coughs> trusting the Lord. Hallelujah. Standing in the power and the conviction of the new covenant, Christ has won a victory. The new covenant speaks a better word than the old one. His victory sent a trembling right, not just across the, the natural world, because we know when Christ died, that natural world quaked and shook. We know that darkness covered the face of the earth. We know that the veil of the temple was torn in two, but it went much farther, friends. That trembling went right down into hell. <laughs> Hallelujah. I said it went right into hell itself. It broke a way open to the Father, opened a veil for you and I. It opened a window of blessing for you and your family. It gave you everything that you need pertaining to life and God is. It equips you to go forward in the, in the confidence that God has won us an awesome victory. I am not ashamed of the gospel. <coughs> it is the power of God unto salvation. When we were speaking to those pastors in Ukraine, and, and I get it, you're going to have to go out and fight a war, and your, your men are fighting that war, and your women. But we don't fight that war, we fight a different war. Hallelujah. We fight the real war. The battle for the hearts of people, amen, for the souls of men and women. We understand that the stakes are far higher than just flesh and blood. All men will die eventually. Whether they die in the battlefield or die in an old age in the bed, what's important is that they know Christ. What's important is that their life is right. What is important is that they're born again. That's the real battle line, friends, and it doesn't shift. We're in peacetime, but it doesn't shift. Because even in peacetime, people might live longer, but they're going to a lost eternity. The battle for your, the souls of men and women. The battle for the souls of our children. We see them around in our church in their innocence and their beauty. We see them grow amongst us and embrace consciousness and embrace intelligence and embrace their future. And as they get older, my heart becomes a little bit more fluttered to hear what will their decision be? What will their influence be? <coughs> will they come under the new covenant? Will they come into the victory of Christ? Yeah. Or will they just fall under the heat? Like, like the, just like the Jews of old when they saw the attraction of the technological superiority of the Philistines. Oh, they seem to have it together. They're, they love their pleasure. They live life. Their cities are better. They're prosperous. Well, rather than living like a, you know, an outcast in this world, why not just go over to the other side? Many went like that. Many within the body of Christ today. Many of our young people, you know, many other people, just join the other side. 
due to trauma or fear or to backsliding. But I believe today that God is saying to you and I today that we need to go on our hands and knees again. Amen. We need to start praying again. We need to see a trembling again. Because when God begins to send that revival, it says that even the collaborators came back and went with Saul and pursued the armies of the Philistines. Those who, there's others amongst us that became so discouraged in the gospel, became so discouraged in the fight that they don't come to church anymore. They made their house a cave. There's a thing called a man cave. I don't have one, but they tell me there's a man cave as well. And they just bury themselves in their playing PlayStation and stupid things like vegetation that, that dying in their brains. I'm talking about Christians. Whatever the world, just in their man cave, in their home cave, whatever they are, they, they just fall aside from the purposes of God. But I want to tell you, if you and I begin to pray, if you and I begin to go on our knees before God for them, if you and I stand in the promises of the new covenant, and say there's a covenant that's far greater than the first one. There could be a trembling, friends, where they come out of their caves, and they come out of their backsliding, and they come and join and swell the ranks of the church again, and to see the gospel move forward, and men want for Christ. Hallelujah. We need to see a church rise out of the ashes. We need to see confidence come back into the Christian. And it's not me blustering this morning. The confidence is the covenant that God has won for us with Christ. Hallelujah. The legal contract of this book, friends. The binding contract that God has bound himself to his word. He's bound himself to his promises. If my people who call by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. Oh, church, today, is there any Jonathan's here that says, you know what? I'm going to start winning some of the small battles in my life because I think it'll have such a big effect on my family because that's where it starts. Amen. Maybe you're one of those men that are more in your man cave, more on your computer. You know, you're not spending time in prayer. Your kids never see you pray. You never have a family altar. You've no, no concern other than barely paying your tithe on a Sunday morning and criticizing the pastor and going home. Maybe it's time for you to say, I'm coming out of that cave. I'm going to win those battles in the name of Jesus because the new covenant gives me every right to stand in victory. Christ has won me a victory at great personal cost. Now I'm going to make it my own. I want to tell you when you do, when you start to make it your own, it starts to affect your family unit. Can you imagine every family unit in this church becoming on fire for God, getting on fire from God? You know, when I, 17 years ago, I was in Moldova. You know, 17 years ago, we sent a mission team. And 16 years ago, I went myself the second year. Moldova was known as the poorest, the most corrupt country in Eastern Europe, still the poorest, I think. And I remember coming out of, it's, it, it, if you take Africa, it's white Africa. It's white Africa on steroids because the corruption was un, un, unbelievable in that country. It's just every, every police officer was on the take. You get pulled in in your car, you had to bribe straight away. It was just awful. It was just a, the feel of the country. There was, there was this morose, awful atmosphere descended over Moldova. And I remember leaving that country thinking, if God doesn't break in here, he's, it's finished. If God doesn't come in his mercy and visit Moldova, if the gospel doesn't rise up to be what the gospel can be, because no civilization ever failed until the church failed. But I want to tell you this morning, 17 years on, when we were there, there was 99 churches in that country. Today, there's 417 churches in that country. 
I want to tell you, even the, even the road structure is getting better. Even the quality of life is getting better. Why? Because the church has taken front and center stage in its community, amen, in its selfless service to God and to those around them, winning the small little battles. Do you know how it did it? It, start, it started looking after the widows and the orphans, the outcasts, the ones that the government said no, the government didn't care for them. There was no return for looking after widows and orphans. They started to look after the widows and the orphans. They started to look after the disabled, opened up disabled schools and disabled housing. It was the most fantastic thing to see. It was fantastic because all of a sudden the power of God begins to break out. Resources come in. You know, the Christian church has the best buildings in Moldova. <laughs> Built by Christian people. The, the best youth retreat centers. I, I, I was I was stupefied at how that moved on so powerfully, but it gave me great hope, friends, because I tell you, it was just men and women saying, we have a right in God, an open heaven, a new covenant. We don't need to accept the status quo. And they started to preach the gospel, and I talked to the bishop there, and how did, it, how did you do it? Well, we did these things. But what really happened is that the church began to win one for one. Now, there was one Christian won one, one other person that year. And oh, when it seems so appalling to us, when the mountains seem so high, all God would say to you, stand in the new covenant, show yourself to the world, preach the gospel, win one for me. Can you imagine today what would happen in our city if just here in Cork Church, every Christian here said, I'm going to go up that mountain, I'm going to seek the face of God, and then I'm going to, I'm going to go in and I'm going to, I'm going to plummet the powers of darkness. I'm going to go in and raid. I'm going to see men and women, one for the gospel. That will produce a shaking, friends, but it starts in your home. It starts with your own prayer life. It starts in your own family unit. Hallelujah. The veil of the temple in the new covenant was open for us. And with that veil opened, also the, the blessings and the power of the Holy Spirit are available to us. Stand in the confidence, Christian, that you stand in not an old covenant, but a new covenant. In his blood, a covenant that speaks higher than the blood of bulls and goats. Stand because you stand for what's right. Be emboldened. Be encouraged, because when you know you stand for the right, you're unashamed. When you know you're standing for what's right, you're unashamed. Do to me as you will, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pastor Steve, you were right when you read that scripture from Joshua this morning. Have confidence. Stand. Scripture says, having, all, having done all to stand, stand. Go with confidence. Go with conviction. Begin to preach the gospel. Because we stand in a far greater covenant than what Jonathan did. That was a fading covenant. The glory is long gone from that. But we have a new covenant today. We can climb up that mountain. We have an open heaven. We can draw down the presence of God and see a trembling in our land and a victory extend, extend to our community that only God can do. And you know again, what I love about Jonathan in closing, Jonathan sought nothing other than what God sought for, which was the glory of his name. And God is always delighted to answer that sort of prayer. When you and I say, I want to see the glory of God come and souls saved. Well, I want to tell you, that's a prayer that God wants to answer. I said, that's a prayer that God wants to answer. Is there someone here this morning 
wanting to make that prayer. I want to see men and women set free. I want to see the darkness broken, broke over them. I want to see the glory of God come. I want the backsliders to return. I want those hiding in caves to return. I want to see the enemy pushed back. I want to see souls won. I want to see a land inhabited. Is there one this morning? Because that's a Jonathan spirit. Because if you align yourself with that, you align yourself with the word of truth. And when you align yourself with that truth, God says, I delight to do these things. And I want to tell you today, it's not that you have to convince God to save. God has to convince you. Amen, that he wants to save. But maybe this morning this one says, no, Lord, I'm convinced. This is your heart. I align myself to the promises of God. And then God, the excellency, as Paul says, of the power is God and not of us. Then God begins to do what only he can do. Oh, God, help us to be Jonathan-spirited. Oh, God, help us to understand that we stand on the right side of truth when we stand with the covenant of Jesus Christ. Oh, God, help us to be unashamed of that gospel. Oh, God, help us to climb on our hands and feet between narrow gaps, keep our focus always on the Lord, and to keep our hand on the sword, which is the word of God. We don't go out to do evil to any man. Our, our sword is the word of God, the power and the truth of God's word that sets men and women free from the awful bondages they're in. Oh, hallelujah. And if that is your motivation, now, if your motivation is different, then you're in the wrong space. If it's how much money you can earn, how you can expand your business, panel your house, get off on your holiday, whatever it is. I want to tell you, none of those things are bad in themselves, but it will rob you of something higher. And for another generation, not just your children, but our children will end up, stay in bondage. Not just, in, not just our children, but our neighbors will stay in bondage. Not just our neighbors, our community. They will run to the hills and they will run to the caves and there will be no hope unless a church, a Jonathan church arises and says, I'm going to win the small battles. Back to the quiet time. It's a small battle. Reading the Word of God, that's a small battle. Showing kindness even when you're spent after a day's work and you feel you want to be lippy with your wife and your children. Win that battle. And I hear an amen. amen. Win that battle. Because when you start winning those little battles in the house, something begins to happen. God begins to move. And I want to tell you, I know your heart is like mine today. You want God to move. How do I know that? You're here listening this morning. You're here sitting attentive this morning, which tells me there's something in your heart this morning that you truly want to see a move of God. Why? You know that, Pastor, because I know there's other churches, the preacher will be finished in 10 minutes and you can go out and do what you want to do. You're here because you're serious. And I'm here because you're serious. And I want you to stand with me this morning. Every serious man and woman of God says, you know, Pastor, I am serious about my faith. And I'm serious about the small battles. Now we're going to ask God, we're going to pray together, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to give us those victories in those small areas. <clears throat> say it in your heart. You have to say it to yourself, no, I am serious about my faith. I'm serious about seeing the gospel go forward. I'm serious about my children, my grandchildren, the community around me. I'm serious about my wife and my family unit. And say to the Lord God, I want to show myself to the world. I want to come out and say I'm a Christian. I want to live in the victories that are, that are not mine at the moment because I'm being foolish. But I want to live in those victories that you've won at Calvary. Will you close your eyes just for a second or two? We're nearly finished service. But would you make that prayer to the, in your heart to the Lord? Would you gently slip your hands to the Lord like a sign of surrender to him? And say, God, would you touch me? Lord, would you just so fill me with the Spirit today, Lord God? Lord, help me, Lord God, to win the little battles 
to see the bigger victories come into my home and my family. Lord, send a revival. Lord, touch my children, my family around me. Oh, God, make me a greater man or woman of God. Hallelujah, Lord. Help me, Lord, again to go back to basics. I am serious about my faith, Lord. I'm here this morning, Lord, to tell you I'm serious. Use me, Lord. Take me, oh God. Make me your battle axe today, oh God. Sharpen me, oh God, with an edge, Father. Lord, that I would release myself into the hand of God to see a mighty victory in our community. And I won't back down in Jesus' name. I won't be letting them put me to flight. I won't let them insult me out of it. But I understand, Lord, tomorrow morning is Monday, Lord, and I'll have to get on my knees before you before I engage this world. But give me the conviction to believe you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. I pray for every man and woman in this house, Father, that are here because they know, Lord, they know you, Lord. But Lord God, they want that special touch this morning. And I know, Lord, you will give them that. You will not withhold that to them. And I know you will use their life for your glory, Father. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.